Hi, this is O'Hara with The Soloist, conversations on music, education, soul, life, and many things in between. And today we are with another episode of the Suzuki Cast. Hello, friends, and welcome back. Today we are doing something new. Instead of a solo conversation where I have my conversations with you, we are having a conversation with a guest and with you. As the Soloist podcast is conversation about music, soul, education, life, and many things in between, my guests will come from all these walks of life. And I hope that there will be something juicy and inspiring for everyone who listens to the podcast. My first guest today is Kun Renz. Kun was amongst the first Suzuki students in Belgium, Europe, studying violin. In Kun's words, I usually introduce myself as a Suzuki child who turned out a Suzuki teacher. I love music, I love learning, and I love people. Being a Suzuki teacher allows me to combine those. Kun studied in Brussels and Liège. He is on the faculty of the Antwerp Conservatoire, where he teaches a postgraduate in Suzuki violin pedagogy. Kun has been invited to teach and perform in most continents around the world. Dr. Suzuki's philosophy of life is a continuous inspiration for him, and he is grateful for the opportunities life brings him. In my eyes, Kuhn embodies the love, wisdom, playfulness, modesty, and nobility that great teachers possess. I've met Kuhn in one of the international, or was it national, conventions we have both been invited to teach in. We started talking and immediately we were fully engaged in a hearted, soulful discussion about music, education, and the future of the world. Recently, Kuhn has joined us in a circle for elders, which I have done online. And again, he inspired us with his views of life and the world. It gives me a great pleasure to invite Kuhn to play with me in this podcast. And I invite you to join us. Welcome, Kuhn, to the Soloist podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I am so looking forward to talk to you. And that's because the first time I met you, no, this is one of the reasons, it's not the only reasons. The first time I met you in the conference in Sydney, where we've both been invited to teach, I, I heard about you before, but I didn't even know how you looked. And then I saw a man sitting, I think we found ourselves sitting at the same table. Mm-hmm. And yes. I listened to your talking and I said, oh, I want this man to be my friend because I just loved what you were saying. I can't even remember what it was. 
I do remember that very soon we were both engaged in a conversation and I felt as if I've known you for many, many years before. So it's right, like meeting a kindred spirit. Yes, same feeling. I think we more recognized each other than actually <laughs> we got to know each other. Yeah, that, that's very true. One of the mm. things that when happen, you ha it happens to you with people you know exactly and immediately that they are part of your spiritual tribe or emotional mm. tribe, but they're just a part yeah. of your soul tribe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's actually a funny thought that, that we only met life once because it doesn't feel like that. Yeah, same, same. Mm -hmm. It's like whenever say people say mention Kuhn, I say, oh yeah, for sure. Kuhn is a very good friend of mine. Yeah. But yes, you are. <laughs> yeah. Well, so thank you. Kuhn, it's such an honor because the truth is that you are the first formal, if I can call it like this, guest on the Soloist podcast. The Soloist mm -hmm. podcast is usually a podcast which is a solo podcast. I just mm -hmm. share my thoughts, my my things, my experience, and not Usually, usually I don't invite people to the podcast. Mm -hmm. it just wasn't something which I thought of, but it started cooking mm -hmm. in my head. I really want to talk to Kuhn and I'd like to mm -hmm. record it. So I'm, I'm really privileged that you are my number one guest. I might do a few more guests in the future, not on the on a regular base. And just before when we just had a little bit of communication on the podcast mm -hmm. um, via email, I ask you if there's any particular things that you want to talk about, because I'm never bringing a set of questions. It's not an interview. It's conversation mm -hmm. with people who I who we talk the same language. And you mentioned things which were beautiful because the word Suzuki, I mean, you're a Suzuki teacher trainer. I'm a Suzuki teacher mm -hmm. trainer. The word Suzuki was not mentioned there. And I just loved it because I love the, the and when what we do is encompassing life. So I will just mention um, what you did and you can pick whatever you want to talk about to start and mm -hmm. maybe even just start another thing, no obligations. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that you like talking usually about topics like connection and gratitude. Uh, you mentioned gravity, love and life as main energies in our lives and the teacher as being a servant to his families. Mm -hmm. So. Are you okay still talking about these topics? Absolutely. So is it okay that we start with the last one with the teacher being a servant to his families? Can you yes. tell can I tell us what, what, what do you mean? Um, well, of course, I'm a Suzuki kid and I'm a, a Suzuki teacher. And um, so this philosophy of, of life, the way of um, the idea that we, with, within a world of, of love and respect and acceptance, um, we are allowed to grow up and we are part of this, this uh, Suzuki dodecaeder or whatever, because triangle, yes, yes, of course, a teacher and a parent, but it is so much bigger. And um, I, coming from that place uh, where I, I really feel that, that um, my parents and teachers <clears throat> then, and, and the friends within the Suzuki world that they, they so constantly have filled up my reservoir of love that, that 
it can be overflowing, overflowing. And <clears throat> I, I feel quite strongly actually that sometimes we, we have a weird idea of being a teacher in the sense that um, maybe being a teacher is not being, being the person who is mending the horse and, and just stating the direction and uh, having to put it roughly this, this um, <clears throat> dictatorship in the life of all the students and the families. Maybe it's not that. Maybe uh, it's actually the opposite. Maybe a parent who wants something for their child sees their teacher as part of the education that the parent wants to give to the child and hires someone to become part of that uh, with their experience and point of view and, um, and, and with the new ideas they bring in um, and with the example that they can be or, or just you might want to copy of, or be inspired by. <clears throat> so when I look at myself in that role as a teacher, um, I have, first of all, it makes me aware that, that the child um, with all the potential that this child has, then um, the parent asks me for help raising this child. So well, it has some implications. It has this first implication that the parent is educating the child and raising the child and I'm not, <clears throat> I mean, of course, I'm part of it, but, but um, uh, although I feel part of the responsibility, um, I don't have the power or the, the right to make the, the, the big decisions and directions in life for this child. Um, if, well, I don't have children, but we all know that our children are not our children, right? They live with us for a while. So if anybody has a sense of responsibility for the life they allow into the world, I think it is the parent. And I think that's such a, a huge, daunting, beautiful, fantastic journey that I'm very grateful when I'm allowed to be part of that and uh, sometimes be in the middle of it and sometimes be at the side and, and, and like be a sparing partner for the parents. And so, um, yeah, I, I really think that it's dangerous to get into, for me as a teacher, it's dangerous to get into the trap of thinking that I'm the one who says, well, you know, uh, first we will do like that, then we do like that, and, and this is how we create that. And it's true that I, I have developed my theories about how you create desire in the child and, <laughs> and why the kids should play the violin and all of this. Um, uh, but in the end, it's just fantastic to be part of the wonder to be part of the miracle and, and, and yeah. Mm. So this is what you mean when you say being a servant to the yeah. family? Okay, so it's like- yeah. I think um, when I grew up, I, I read those uh, 
Bellam Greenville Woodhouse uh, uh, books of uh, about Jeeves the Butler, whether it's it's British uh, stuff. And <clears throat> what is funny about this is that um, you have those noble families like like with titles, huh? <laughs> and um, and they get in all kinds of trouble. And it's always the butler who saves them. <laughs> it's always like the upper servant who solves everything. And I think it's beautiful because it's, um, so in so many uh, places or, or wherever we go, we see mother as the center of the family. Then, but when we speak about mother, we think about, the person who cares, the person who feeds, the person who, who provides, the person who, wow. Um, so, um, and um, and on top of that, having having a life outside of the family and enriching and, and, and but so actually the heart of the family is the person who cares most. Beautiful. So, hey, um, I remember being an observer in one of Anya Maya's um, teacher training classes. And for those who don't know, Anya Maya is a Finnish uh, cello teacher who's an absolutely amazing musician and, and teacher with huge heart for her kids. It's, it's, well, when I think Suzuki cello, I think about Anya Maya. Uh -huh. She's, you know, she, she can, um, uh, have a little concert with six boys, six years old. You know, you can imagine like sturdy kids with short hair and they start playing and they play beginning of book one. And for some reason you get goosebumps and you cry. And, and, and she can do it time and again. So Anya Maya, uh, I sit in, in one of her, her uh, teacher trainer classes and it was a level one and the one of the teachers uh, was part of the, the course, some soloist in an orchestra, really, really fabulous Polish player, absolutely gorgeous musician. And uh, so she sits down, she kneels in front of him just to be close to his hand to help. And, and, and she says, let me serve you. Let, let me serve you. Let, let me uh, like, um, put your fingers on the bow. Mm. And I thought it was so beautiful because you have this, this guy who plays all the concertos and is, <clears throat> who's like a really deep musician. And she, she has no need to say, well, you know, I know. Whereas when you just look at the tiny percentage of, of, of what she has done in life or what, what she, uh, uh, brings to the world that there is so much beauty and, and, and so much love and so much knowledge. She's, mm. she, she's a, a teacher at the uh, Helsinki, the, the Sibelius Academy is, is, is not the nobody in the music world. Eh? You don't see that. She gets down on her knees and she says, let me serve you. I like very much that idea. And that brings to mind uh, Bela Detrokoi, the, the oh, well-known name in the in the Suzuki world, he's he's no longer with us now. He was um, Hungarian um, 
concert master in Danish orchestra. Um, what is the name again, Kun? Bela, it... Bela de Trocoy. He also taught at Oberlin. Um, okay. And he was yeah. uh, married to Tuve de Trocoy, yeah. uh, one of the first, like, like Suzuki pioneers in, in Europe. Um, and so you would have a, a lesson with this man. Um, and he's a concert master. He's a conservatory teacher. He has he has uh, had played Bartok solo sonata to Menui, you know, mm -hmm. and um, you see nothing of that all. Is he doesn't? It's never about that. It's always about the music. It's about the the respect. The, um, you play for him, and he says, "Oh wow." The, you, you really should play this with an orchestra. You know, coming from this guy, and you're going, yeah, sure. <laughs> but, and I, mm. so, uh, mm. I think that then, uh, when we can distinguish between uh, the honorary titles and diplomas and certificates that people have put on us, um, Probably because at the moment we were we were in the right state of mind and we accept the blessings and and and, and of course we we received so much and then it's kind of funny that, that mm -hmm. afterwards you would go and say see what I did it's a little bit like like uh, <laughs> a little little boy walks walks in the streets and and his dad who's like a huge guy, muscles everywhere, big tattoos, you know. He's walking behind the boy, yeah? And the boy walks through the street and he see people just step aside. And he thinks, whoa, look at me. <laughs> but he even doesn't realize his dad is behind him, you know? And, and I think, uh, for me personally, at least, it's good to regularly look behind me and say, oh, yeah, okay. Yes. <laughs> no, it's, it's not me they're impressed with. It, it comes from a different place. Beautiful, beautiful. So I, I like the analogy of being a Suzuki teacher being a butler or teacher or mm -hmm. in general, not just Suzuki teacher. And it's, it's, it's like, it takes, it takes a, like a nobility of a person or wisdom of a person Mm -hmm. in order for the person not to show how wonderful he or she is because it's authority which comes from within i mean the mm -hmm. people who are trying to show how wonderful they are or to take authority on other people be it teachers or parents or bosses or whatever will usually be people which are very insecure inside they so don't mm -hmm. trust themselves they need to impose their authority and even force it on other people so for, for me, always, when I see a teacher which puts himself in a place of the child, mm -hmm. this is really the, the, the nobility of a teacher. And we saw it quite a lot in Suzuki Sensei teaching. Absolutely. We see it in all the pictures that you see even on the mm -hmm. Internet, how he stands. He, he puts himself down physically. He puts yeah. he sits on his knees or always before he went to the room to the room of teaching. He was always mm -hmm. seen to actually wait. And he, he was saying, I'm bringing myself to the place of the child. 
Yeah. Not I'm bringing myself down. Some people don't. Some people no, no. don't understand it and say, what, "What does it mean? Not not bringing myself down. It's just bringing myself, centering myself to the place mm -hmm. of the child. That's the nobility mm -hmm. of a teacher. This is being a teacher. Uh, but I'd like, and I'd like one more thing to ask you about what you said about the seventh. When you said about um, working with the parents, helping the parents raise their children, mm -hmm. which I totally agree. I see it sort of the same lines do you, do you mean um or no not do you mean what do you do with the preoccupied or preconceived ideas the parents have towards the children which might come out of love out of expectations mm -hmm. but what do you see when you come to the family and you have this preconceived idea the family hires you sort of they ask you to come and take mm -hmm. the education helping the education of the child they see a certain way and you see another way. I, I did hear you say I'm, you're going to serve the child, but how are you maneuvering? Because in the Suzuki education, we've, we've got the equal thing of working with parents and children. How do you dance this dance of maybe showing the parents, wait, wait a minute, maybe that's not the way to go. Or do you do some, some, something? What's your take on this? Um. I personally don't like being told what to do. So I, I think that maybe I'm not the only one. So if I, I uh, want to create rebellion into my parents, I need just to tell them bluntly my idea, which makes uh, me probably lose all the content of my message and let them only be attacked by the by the, the way that I uh, bring it to them. So um, I think there, there are a couple of things going simultaneously. Um, of course, before, before I accept the job, before I accept the invitation, we do have a talk um, about uh, nurture by love, about um, many son of his environment, about how kids copy the, the meaningful adults in their, in their life. Um, and, and I make it clear from day one that um, I'm really willing to be part of a journey that leads to a beautiful character, um, uh, harmony, sharing a respectful uh, attitude towards each other, um, self-discipline. Uh, so, so if a parent contacts me uh, with the wish to, uh, to turn their kid in a competition winner, child prodigy kind of journey, then um, then I, I cannot take part in that because I'm not the kind of teacher they need. It's, it's, mm -hmm. I, I am not going to take part in a journey that I don't believe in. You know, and I, I, <laughs> I say, if you want bread, you go to the baker shop, you don't go to the butcher. So if you come to the butcher and you ask for bread, they, everybody will be cheated. So, so let's not go there. Um, but that's, that's 
part of the talk so far, I never had someone not start after the first talk because I also think that is um, my role or my responsibility to help uh, the parent um, also see this version of reality where, um, where the time spent together is, is the secret and the core of what we do. And that the quality of that time, um, including the, the frustrations and fights and misunderstandings, and, and, um, but also the moments of, of uh, uh, like emotionally overcharged <laughs> uh, beauty or, or the, the moments of, of uh, sheer awe of what you're, kid is capable of or um, learning to, to see from, uh, from a place of empathy uh, where we can read what the kid is going through or what, what the parent is going through. Um, uh, and of course, we're always trying. One of the other things that I, I think that that is absolutely a big thing in what we do is uh, before anything else. I need to throw out my fishing line and put a little hook in the heart of the child. The child See? first, not the parent. Your hook, you aim the hook for the child. Yes, okay. um, because uh, I, I figured out, as I think we all do uh, sooner or later, that when, uh, when I was a young beginning teacher, I was so surprised that I, you know, you, you're like kind and gentle with this child. And at some point, the parents, they treat you as, as if you did something fantastic to them, as if you were their best friend. And I thought, well, it, it took me a while to find out that what you do to the child, you do to the parents. Mm -hmm. Because the child, and especially the young child, is is so much part of the parent, they're not, they're not separated yet, you know. Uh, um, and so also the opposite is true. When I hurt the child, I hurt the parents. Um, so, so that's a big part of what we do when, when um, I am uh, creating this magic bulb or allowing for this magic to take place uh, with the child when I'm uh, understanding but firm so I help the child find out how I, I always tell the parent I, I teach your child how to manipulate me so the, the role of the child growing up is to get in control of their life to to find out how things work so um, whatever they want or they think they want they need to find out how they get it so if you tell me I need a sticker now that's a language I don't understand. I'm sorry, I'm so stupid. I, I don't get it. So so I, I even don't know what, what you're saying because I, I don't get the language. Of course, if you say, could I have a sticker, please? That I totally understand. So if you learn to, to balance that kind of things, um, then you learn how to manipulate your teacher. You learn how to manipulate your parent. And there's nothing bad about that. It's just growing up and learning um, how to, to get by in life, how to, how to 
connect how to um, so uh, it's like when you you give them something but you hold on to it until they say thank you in the beginning they just go putting the sticker <laughs> and then <laughs> and I just wait for the thank you, or I help them a little bit. <laughs> or sometimes we both forget and then it gets away. And I say, thank you. Oh, my pleasure. I just made the conversation myself. Yeah. So the conversation has taken place, although not coming from the child. So they, at some point, they're going to expect that, or maybe parent thinks about it. So um, I have never encountered yet parents who don't want the best for their child. I have not encountered them yet. Yeah. I have encountered parents who thought that the best for their child was something very different from what I think is the best for their child yeah. uh, or what child psychology thinks about what's the best for their child or, or even what the child thinks about what's the best for their child. Um, and that that never comes from a wish from the parent's side to, to do harm to the child, but because they're convinced maybe from their own background or own history or, or as a reaction to that, uh, it comes from being really convinced that this is necessary. Like um, if you think for some weird reason that it's impossible to learn to play the piano unless uh, you have been hit on your fingers with a ruler mm -hmm. uh, with every wrong note you play then it's quite weird if you end up with a piano teacher who's not hitting your child because you think they're not they're not serious they're not professional mm -hmm. depending on what your background is, is mm -hmm. another story from Bela Detrikor he was um, being a Hungarian and having lived in, in Denmark for so many years, um, in the in the eighties, they brought back the Suzuki method to Hungary, and he was invited to teach a master class. And so those are kids who are beautifully thought, really great players, and um, and at some point he's teaching in, in like the the Friedrichsht um, uh, Academy in Budapest, so like top conservatory uh, and the head teacher of pedagogy is there and he's teaching his uh, child. And um, at some point she cannot hold it anymore. She says, she's playing out of cue. Why don't you scold her? Which I think is like a really beautiful reasoning. It's like, okay, you put the finger in the wrong place. Someone starts yelling at you so you know that you have to move the finger. It doesn't work like that. Someone has to tell you to move the finger or to listen or to connect. It's, it's just a different, a different world of information you need to get access to. Um, but it's, yeah. It's, it's like sometimes uh, our Suzuki kids who say they don't learn any technique. They don't learn technique. They only learn to play pieces. And I say, oh gosh, you know, a year just playing Twinkle. What have we been doing? It's like basic technique on all levels. We are working on basic technique all their lives. Is it, um, but it takes a while before we put this technique, uh, like, like we cut the music off from the technique because we're kind of afraid to teach them skills that 
that they will not use in concert. Yeah, but yeah. So it's it's a couple of, of uh, things there. I think uh, connect with the child so so the child feels feels comfortable. Um, I always uh, I feel quite strong about supporting the parents. Um, if one of these things is uh, mama is always right, which is not what I always think, which is not the truth neither. Um, but it's a very practical rule for a child. If mama is always right, in a normal, healthy situation, that will bring you very far. Of course, if your parent is abusive in some way, then, yeah. um, then is my role, again, to, to address this with the parent, but not with the child there. Mm. I, th I think that a, a young brain is like, when your brain is, is developing, and, and <laughs> I told one of my students, I said, of course you're not, you're not asked whether, whether you like to play the violin or not. You know, you chose it to begin with, and then and now we're doing it. And we're not discussing this, this like every, every second week. Um, and she said, but, but if I think I don't want it, I say, yes, but forgive me, how can you expect me <clears throat> to take that seriously, because we both know that your brain is grown half. So it's, it's, you're a miracle, but you're grown, your brain is only half of what, what it will be in, in a couple of years. You will be such more complete person. And when you will be the complete person, you would hate me for allowing to, to, to for, for listening to half grown brain and let it make decisions for life. Mm, but yeah. of course, depending on, on uh, circumstances also. I'd like to weave, if you may, if I may, a few things about yeah? what you said. So I, I, don't, I don't forget. I just love the way you put it. It's very much, um, it reminds me a lot of the way that I think, like uh, when you talked about uh, um, if you love the child, you love the parent and so on. I've just come across recently on a Danish, they say it's a Danish proverb that says, who takes a child by the hand takes the mother by the heart. Mm. And I thought, oh, this that's is, beautiful. It it's is so, so true. It, it is so true. And it's yeah. in, a, in a way, do you know, in a way, it connects to what you said about telling the child that mom is always right, even if you know it's not the case. I do the same. I always say to the, to the, to the children, you know, it took me years to discover that my mother was always right. I rebelled and I went against her and I said, oh, she was right. And then I found myself saying, saying things that my mother said. And I always say to them, it's not to say that you don't, you're not going to have an idea or you're not going mm -hmm. to have a point. One day you're going to sit with mom to conversation. Mom will learn from you. You will learn from mom but yeah. right now because mom has been also trained and mom has chosen to work um, together. Mm -hmm. You've got yeah. such, I mean, I also want them to be grateful. Yeah. For what the mm. parents are doing for them, because we know Kun to be to be a Suzuki parent is not like being a parent of a child to learn an instrument. It's no, it's the hardest different. part anyway in the triangle. Totally different. <clears throat> yeah. And I, just a word about uh, just maybe um, closing the this topic of serving the parents, and then we can go to another one. You said something which really um, triggered me when I you said that. Um, 
sometimes parents do not know what's they think that they know what's the best for the children and their best is not always for the best of the child and i know as a young Suzuki teacher i used to think i'm working for the parents i will serve the parent i will do what the parent needs and as i grew older and older i said oof there are quite a few things that i see and i know the parents are not seeing so mm -hmm. if I want to serve the child and to serve the parent, I really need to state my truth in a nice yes. way. As oh, you no, said, no, absolutely. Nice absolutely. Way. Respectfully. That's why they hire you. Exactly. Exactly. If they, if they could do without us, they would do without us. It's cheaper. And there's one and more thing. There's one more thing here, Kuhn. Sometimes, as we know, somebody from outside see things that the parents mm -hmm. cannot see. Yeah. And, be, and and this is why the parents will always say, how come you listen to Kuhn? I say the same thing to you and you don't listen to me. Yeah, because yeah. it takes somebody out of the family to come yeah. and say things and to trust. And the whole thing of this, when they say that it takes a village to raise a child, yeah, there are people from the community and most of the time there will be elders. And as, as mm -hmm. you and I actually already mm -hmm combined in an elder circle in yeah. the past. Mm -hmm. Elders does not mean old people. Elders mean the mm -hmm. people who have the experience. Many times it takes the elders to open the parents to see something in the child that they could not see before. Yeah. And I think this is really the biggest it's excitement so and privilege. Yeah. So the I best compliment I ever got from a parent, I think, or one of the really beautiful ones was that uh, it was a father. And he said, you are with my child like a grandfather. And I, I, was, I was in my 30s, you know? And I thought, whoa, this is amazing. Because the way I understood it is, I take the time to be with the child. I distinguish because uh, between what is, what is really and what will come and what will settle itself. And I have trust in the child. And of course, because when, when Grandparents love their their grandchildren like beyond beyond reason. Well, anyway, parental love is <laughs> you cannot explain it with reasoning. <laughs> Old brain is involved, not just this part. <laughs> and I, I thought it was beautiful, and it, uh, I have kept that idea. Okay, am I like a grandparent with with the children today, or am I trying to be efficient? Mm, yeah. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. As, as we are talking, I and another topic comes in my mind, which I haven't thought before, before we met today. But you are talking from Brussels, from Belgium now. I'm talking from Australia. I wasn't mm -hmm. raised here. I was raised, born and raised in Israel. Then I mm -hmm. lived in Kenya for many years. We know that there are so many cultures, even though we are a global village now and we mm -hmm. feel connected more than ever. We still come from different cultures, and I think that's the beauty and the variety of our being. We want to really mm -hmm. respect it. I remember, and I really would like to hear what you think of it. Uh, many years ago, I was uh, walking from, I was somewhere in one of the countries outside giving a workshop or a conference, whatever. And I was walking from the tutoring room to the staff room, and I had this Suzuki mm -hmm. thought, you know, we breathe Suzuki, we teach Suzuki, mm -hmm. we dream Suzuki. I mean, this is the way of being. It's not just what we do for, for work. And I was thinking to myself, there's so many cultures here in this workshop, mm -hmm. lots of cultures. 
East Suzuki, the uniting, or can Suzuki, not just the only one, can Suzuki be, Suzuki method, I mean, the uniting things between cultures? And then as I reached the staff room, my question started to um, crystallize. And I came and I asked all the teachers that were sitting there having coffee or lunch, whatever, and I said, do you think we should bring the culture or we should adjust the culture to the Suzuki way or the other way around? <clears throat> should we adjust the Suzuki way to the culture? And I thought everybody's going to jump and have an answer. The only person that had an answer is our mutual friend, Haruo. Mm -hmm. And then we just started discussing, but I could see that actually people really need to go and think about it. How is it? Mm -hmm. And now, many years after this, and not to mention even COVID and everything that happens in the world, I feel it's even more important. What do you think, mm -hmm. Kun? Do we need to adjust the culture to the Suzuki way or adjust the Suzuki way to the culture? I'm really interested to hear. Well, the first thing that comes to mind that is, is there a culture in the world that doesn't apply mother tongue method. Because if we can find a culture that doesn't apply mother tongue method, that would be a really interesting place to, to study. Um, do, you, because, do, you mean, do you mean mother tongue method for learning the language or the learning other things? When, what's- I, I, Well, as far as I understand it, Suzuki method is, mother tongue method. Yeah. So it applying um, applying what we think are, are the things that help us learn language uh, to other fields in life. So um, when, when you're a, a Suzuki teacher, um, you believe that the child, like man is made by his environment, right? Like man is child of his environment or um, which means that if we choose to develop anything in the child, we must make sure that it comes in, into their environment. And um, it, it raises kind of, uh, in one way, like superficial questions, uh, like, like our traditional Western European repertoire. Mm -hmm. um, why do I call it superficial? Because I think that it's perfectly thinkable to have a mother tongue method on djembe with, with South African uh, um, rhythms with, with an expert in, in, in djembe. Um, what you see, what happens the way, the way the tabla players in India learn konakor is mother tongue method, you know. <laughs> I was once told by a djembe player that um, he said, if you want to learn to play the djembe, the first thing you do is you go and live with the tribe, with the players, and you hang out with them for a year and you carry their djembes. It starts with service. I like that. And all the time you hear the music, and you're not even allowed to, to, to have no djembe, you know. And then, um, and then in the second year, you learn to carve out your own instrument. So you're going to build your instrument and you're still listening and living and seeing and, and you're, you're not yet imitating. It's just in your brain is going on. Um, also because 
I thought, well, naive as I am, I, I thought that they are improvising little pieces, you know, they, they do something. And, but no, no, they are entirely composed pieces that, that have a syllable for, for every sound they make. And, and it's just as complicated and just as um, uh, elevated, if you want to say on a, on a um, mental level as, as any classical music. Um, so then in the next year, they, they learn, they are allowed to play one of the bass patterns. I remember uh, listening to a, a band coming to play in Leuven and they, it was really fantastic band. And one of the guys, there were 13 people on the stage and one of them was just going like one, two, three. One, two, three. <laughs> and he did nothing else but the whole evening. And, and first, we, you know, with some friends from the conservatory, you said, what's this guy doing? Until I realized that he never ever missed the beat by a fraction. He was always right there, always, the whole evening. Every time he played, it had the same full, dark, grounded sound. It's, it's just high virtuosity. You know, you think, oh, pff, I can do that one, two, three, buff, yeah, right? Like I can play twinkle, yeah, until you start practicing. <laughs> 30 years later, you think, oh, oh, no, not twinkle. No, 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 too difficult. <laughs> Give me a piece. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, so it, it raises a couple of questions for me. Uh, I I think that Mother-Thunk method is something that is applied in all different cultures. Um, I think that the, the practical uh, way, like the repertoire, uh, the way how you use your hands on the piano, is, uh, the, the recording artists that, that you use, and so all that can, can be changed and adapted because monotone method, whether you learn Finnish or you learn Swahili, it's the same method. Mm -hmm. But the outcome is very different because with every language that you learn, you enter into a totally different, or, or not totally, but, but really different uh, world line of thought. Is um, There is a word in Flemish, Geselligheid, uh, Geselligkeit in, in German, something like coziness. It, the closest that come to explain that concept is uh, Winter, Christmas time, Western Europe or um, Northern Europe, actually. Um, family sitting in front of the fireplace. Uh, one of the parents reading from, from Bible or Old Testament or Torah or like, uh, um, uh, like this authority voice who tells the tale of God. Um, and the family sits together and it's warm and it's cozy and you feel safe. And that, that idea is Hiselig. The funny thing is that there are languages that even don't know the concept. Because if you don't have a winter Christmas time, your, your Christmas is totally different experience than when you, you you have it. So um, if you live in a place that is dark and cold for half of the year, um, the only people who survive are the people who during 
springtime and, and summertime and the fall will we'll collect and gather food and make sure that they can survive during the winter. So the people who, who can live from day to day, they cannot survive in this environment. So you, you will get a, a really different culture. And um, if you look at the history of mankind, how uh, the people with the guns took over the people with guns and, and knives and, and this attitude that I can take whatever I want because I'm stronger, um, then the whole idea of colonialism, we spread out, I say we, my ancestors, we spread out over the globe and we 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 stole like what what is the 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 internet beam about uh, what is that thing that looks uh, British but is uh, but is isn't that's the content of the National British Museum something like that <laughs> <laughs> so and, and I I feel that we are uh, step by step coming to an uh, inside or, or understanding uh, that that climate change is um, is the further development of an attitude that that we spread out over the world in, in you know and, um, in a small French village. People are living in huts and they're taking care of their sheep and they're making their cheese. And then some knight in armor comes with a sword and he says, I want those goats. I want those, this cheese. I want your bread and I want your women. And you say, no. So, okay, short moment later, you say nothing anymore. So he takes what he wants. And, um, there are probably most places in the world have a kind of brutal <laughs> part in their history like that. I <laughs> think it, it is a human thing. Um, uh, the baby uh, is born egocentric. I'm not saying egoistic, but egocentric. Every, everything um, turns around me. Everything, like the whole world turns because of me. And little by little, you find out there are actually other me's around who think the same thing and you get into conflict and you have to learn to collaborate and to uh, not desire everything that you see. You have to learn to uh, listen to your body and your, your mind and your heart and feel that you can be happy with what you have or even much less and then um, but that's this kind of enculturation is, is something that you learn from your parents. We're an incredibly beautiful, uh, we're so full of potential when we are born, but we are also like the worst babies on earth. You know, the human baby can do nothing. It's, it's, it's so helpless. It's so, yeah. A horse a year after it's born can do everything it needs to do. Well, maybe not having babies, I don't know enough about horses, but probably in three years, even that. But I don't but think it's, human, a, it's, I don't think it's a mistake of nature. Are you absolutely right? I think, oh. I think it's, we need more time because we have 
it's not war. We have a very wide skill to establish, and this is why we, we need to grow. We have incredible skills yeah. that we can exactly. learn. Yeah. And, and so the whole adolescence crisis that we go through makes total sense because yeah. our, our body is ready. But, you know, in order to be a simple adult, well-functioning adult in our life, you need 25 years because which 16-year-old can fill in their tax forms? Yeah. Simple things like that. Well, yeah. not so simple. And um, so, uh, so there are thoughts that I have about that. I, um, I also have a, a, a deep wish, and that is something that I feel really, really strongly about. Um, I've started thinking and sometimes talking about that um, to bring the Suzuki method to the next level. In, in, in the sense that, um, to put it very schematically, Dr. Suzuki got this idea during or right after the Second World War, uh, devastated, uh, bombed Japan. Um, let, let's bring some beauty to the life of those children. And he started with one little violin and six kids, and that's how our movement started. Yeah. Strong conviction and the wish to do something really, really beautiful, altruistic. And yeah. um, that's, that's where it started, I think. Mm. And um, it grew bigger and bigger. And then we found out, we, we learned, how can we uh, teach a child or raise a child in such a way that it can play the Italian concerto by age 11 or the Mendelssohn violin concerto or by, so, and we found out how that works and, and we can do it and we can reproduce it if we want to, if we would want to. So um, yeah, we know how that works. And we learned how to, uh, to collaborate with parents and the collected wisdom and knowledge that we have as, as Suzuki tribe is, um, is so that we actually do know how to get this? We know how to, to bring this beauty and love and balance and high skills and, and developing the, the potential of the brain. Um, and we know how to do it within given circumstances. We know how to do it in uh, middle-class wealthy uh, families that can uh, have a long-term commitment to education and uh, um, have, have sufficient wealth to, to maintain that and so yeah okay so for a certain layer of every child can we actually can and then but it's not because the other kids cannot it's because we didn't think enough yet i'm speaking for me about so and what about the child that doesn't have both parents on or because you hear suzuki teachers say well you know um, Suzuki method doesn't work when the mm. parents divorce and anything. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> it makes your life harder. Yes, of course, that's true. But if we, if we apply our, our, uh, our knowledge and our, our, um, our methodology, if we apply it to this child, divorced parents or not, is going to learn, right? Um, and, of course, it makes it harder because we cannot just paste and copy what we saw with someone else. Mm. We have to think for ourselves. We have to make up 
uh, a tailored solution for this particular uh, family, maybe, maybe uh, it's really difficult to stay in touch with the other parents and you, you only have this one parent and uh, maybe the violin or the, or the, the group class or, or gets into conflict with or becomes part of the, the weapons that the parents use against each other in, in their uh, fight. Um, so, so bringing the Suzuki method or this model tongue approach understanding to the next level. There is the challenge of what I think uh, maybe things like El Sistema are doing already. Um, how can we provide an environment where the child can, can develop beautifully if there is not this parent who already had education? And, um, so one of my, my favorite uh, sayings to parents who say, well, I, I didn't I don't know about music, you know, and you know all those musician parents. Yeah, it's easy for them, but I don't know anything, and um, and it's really difficult. And we want to quit. And I say, do you realize that you are the one changing the course of your dynasty? Is it is for you are part of a, a family tree that lasts a thousand or two thousand or five thousand years, and you are the one who decides. And from this point in the family tree, there will be music in this family. And, and afterwards, you put the seeds there and your children that, um, so maybe, maybe at one point you are a farmer and you work really, really hard on the fields to, to grow your crops. And because it's such intense labor, you learn, you develop this attitude of everyday work. And you raise your kids to take part in, in working every day in the fields and, and go with nature. And you teach them to work hard. So what happens? Those kids who learn to work hard, they raise kids who do well in school because they have learned to work hard. And they bring this attitude of working on a regular basis and, and not giving up. Um, and they bring it to their schooling. So they become successful in school. So the kids of these kids, they, they get higher education. They might end up in university, become doctors or things like that. So, and then the doctors and the surgeons and the lawyers and, and they, um, they have the, uh, the skills, the money, the consistent time, their kids become artists. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And then the artists do nothing and their kids become farmers again. But yeah, well, I don't know whether it goes that way. So, I, I just love the way you say that when you say to the parent, so you're going to start a new, a new line in the family and you like, you might say a new dynasty. And, and another, there's another aspect for this. When I have parents who come and say, but I don't know anything about music. I said, mm -hmm. fantastic. I'm blessed. Oh, because you don't have to, uh, we do know that there are, I mean, music is music, Bach is yeah. Bach, Mozart is Mozart, but the way of learning, learning, not teaching even, the way of learning mm -hmm. is different in Suzuki way and in yeah. what is called a traditional way. So yeah. I say, if you are a traditional musician, you'll have to undo lots of your learning. But mm -hmm. if you don't, if you know nothing about music, you have the beginner's mm -hmm. mind, Zen mind, yeah. beginner's mind. Yeah. Perfect. 
perfect that you don't need to know more but that's another thing which i'm going now to add it's beautiful and you are going now and you're going to create a new line in the family you're going to create a line of musician it's re it's really beautiful Con there was one thing which i you we you touched before you mentioned before we met um and i just i'm very as uh, very uh, curious about this topic you talk about gravity love and life as main energies in our lives. And if it's too long of a question, because I'm aware of the of the fact that we will mm -hmm. have to wind down soon, but I'm mm -hmm. thinking, um, is there anything that you feel that you would like to relate to this? Which I just love the sound yes. of this word. But okay, I explain that. First, okay. um, I, I give all the credit for this idea to Haruo Goto, mm -hmm. uh, who, told me about this and then afterwards when I thanked him for that he said I never told you that and that <laughs> actually happens a lot when I have these exchanges with Haruo he says something and it immediately clicks something in my mind that goes <clears throat> I, I, I love spending time with that man because every time I meet him uh, there is something for me in in the sense of growth I I it's one of those big encounters in my life and and uh, yeah yeah totally with you and yeah. we we found each other through through twinkle i i can never forget in davos when he started his lecture by taking out his iphone and having dr suzuki play and i thought oh someone else who's just listening to dr suzuki and <laughs> okay we don't won't go there but um, yeah so uh so gravity love. The idea love. that I developed from, from that is that uh, there are two important powers in the universe. Oh, that's a big one. Huh? Mm. Um, and it doesn't need to be true, but I love the concept and it helps <laughs> me grow. So that's fine. Um, the, the one, and that's the, that's the, the huge one that, that is... Um, love and i like to say life is love with a typo hmm. yeah so um life is love what do you call it the initial initial energy from the big bang or you call it god or you call it life or you call it key or you call it magic or you call it uh like um that stuff, you know, the stuff that, that we are a container for. So what is just a package, package grows old, but the stuff inside doesn't grow old. It's, it's there all the time. It's not always as visible. We are, we are sometimes uh, drifting away from it, but, but even, even when we feel very weak, it's still there. We see it in the plants, we see it in the trees, we see it in nature. Um, we see it in the flying around of the, the uh, planets through the universe and, and the solar systems. And um, so there is this, this incredible, ununderstandable, but very easy to understand power of life. Is you look the child into the eyes, you look anybody into the eyes, and you get directly in touch with that power. So um, for me, I the word I use is, is either life or love or soul. And 
soul in contrast to my ego, which is what my, my like only small part of my brain has constructed uh, to help me cope with all my insecurities and, and, and like, like making myself bigger than I am, growing my muscles. And <laughs> um, so, so that is, is like the one big power. And when Pablo Casals talks about the first principle in, in, in music, like uh, to, to share from that world actually, is you listen to Menachem Pressler, mm -hmm. You, I cry when the guy plays. Yeah. When Vrigitlis is playing, it's because, yeah. but somehow they they go directly from that source mm -hmm. and they just allow it to flow. And and when when my Down syndrome uh, pre-twinkler plays, it's also like that. Mm. Um, well, different level of skill, I admit, but but intensity, <laughs> same. Uh, to what it does to me. Because the, um, soul, the soul doesn't have a Down syndrome. No. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then, and then uh, well, the power of gravity, that's, um, it has a lot in common, actually, and, uh, with, with love. Um, if you go against gravity, your life is difficult. If you mm -hmm. go with gravity, your life is easy. If you go against love, you suffer all the time, things are difficult. If you go with love, life's easy. Life is beautiful. It brings you where you need to be. It's of course not, it's, it's not buying you the clothes that you think you need, or it's not, not making you follow the publicities that you see. It's a, because love is, is it's of a different level. And, and I do think that, that uh, advertisement and publicity and Coca-Cola and all, they, they try to, to um, uh, simulate kind of, of like a sugar rush or something like that, or like a mental sugar rush, uh, in order for us to, to imitate this feeling of, of, of pure selfless love. And, um, but when you get the real thing, oh, it's so different. And you always immediately recognize it when you, you get in touch with someone who allows that in their life. And, and because, and that's what I'm talking about, when the boy is walking and the father is walking behind him, you know, when I, the boy is the package, right? But the father is the soul, is the life energy. And um, Dr. Suzuki was very much aware of that. And he was, was so much, how do they call it? In the zone. Mm, yes, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and yeah. When, when I search for that type of flow or that when I, I try to, I allow this to be part of my, my being at the moment um, is extremely enriching for me and for everybody who's touched by it. And as a musician, as a violinist, I, I need to learn how to work with gravity mm. because if I can let gravity work for me, I do much less, violinists need to be lazy, you know that. So then, and suddenly, the music speaks of something so much more beautiful and so much bigger than just me. Yeah. So yeah. part of my practice, of my daily practice is trying not to interfere with that. Mm. Totally. Right. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's, <laughs> that's beautiful. And Thank I you. have no doubt, Kun, if you, if you'll not mind, we will continue this conversation because I feel we need to finish and I feel that Mm -hmm. as if we just started because i'm just it's like you know like love 
the more I'm getting from mm. you, the more I want. So I'm, no, I'm not going to stop so the flow. It, it's so beautiful. And definitely. You bring this, it up to me. It's, I think it's, it's the flow between, it's the flow and the zone between the two mm. of us. I mean, yeah. And maybe more, even more musicians. It's, um, yeah. Anyway, uh, the gravity, it's definitely something that I would like to talk to you about the gravity, love and life to continue. Mm. It's, it's not a topic for one, for one session. No. Is there anything, and we will, I will invite you at least one more time. Is there anything that I should have asked you that, or you wanted to say before we say our goodbye for today? Well, thank you very much for creating this opportunity for, mm. for, uh, making this exchange possible and for bringing all this out in me is um, there is a, a Dutch or there was a Dutch comedian so like a like, uh, beautiful artist Tom Hermans who's probably not known outside of the Dutch speaking world um, who, who in whatever he does he makes people laugh really laugh very hard but there is always so much love. Actually, in English, they understand that love and love is like etymology, etymology is, is similar. Um, and um, to and he said in one point, he said, all the beauty that comes out of me, <clears throat> I need to allow it to happen. And sometimes circumstances bring it out. I don't know what's going to come out, but I enjoy it when it comes out, when it comes from that place. Mm -hmm. And I thank you for uh, creating this, this possibility, this opportunity for me to speak from that place. Oh, beautiful. Thank you so much. Kun, it's been my pleasure. I'm so grateful. And I know that quite soon we are going to see each other in uh, the conference, coming conference. Um, Looking forward to that. Thank, thank you so much. And all the, all the best. Stay safe, stay well. And we will talk. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kuhn as much as I did. As I said, I will invite Kuhn again because the conversation with him was so enriching, inspiring, and uplifting to my soul and spirit. I hope you felt the same. Before we go, I'd like again to thank you for uh, supporting us, for sending your beautiful emails and messages of appreciation. I read and value each and one of them. If you have a minute or two to write a comment and rating on Apple iTunes, it will help us to keep the podcast in today's world of algorithms. And one last thing before we say goodbye. As you know, I'm doing my best to grow the podcast and bring it to more listeners around the world. Uh, creating a podcast, maintaining it is quite um, a big load for one person. And I'm doing everything by myself. Uh, one person's business here. So if you would like uh, to support us in any shape or form, there is a PayPal link in the show notes. I will be more than grateful for anything that your soul or your heart calls you to offer. Thank you in advance.
And until next time, stay safe and stay well.